Good evening, and uh, it's a cold night, so Baruch Hashem, we'll gather together to Baruch Hashem, warm ourselves up with some Taira and some Ashkafa, and hopefully to elevate ourselves, and thank you to the mothers for hosting, and Baruch Hashem, for them, and Baruch Hashem, this home should, as we mentioned by the last year, this home should be able to be picked up with the coming of Mashiach, Baruch Hashem, we should be zeicher, to all of us, to be able to greet Mashiach b'mehera. It's, it's, I mentioned to the, I think I mentioned to the men last week or two weeks ago, it's very difficult to imagine that it's, there's been so many weeks since the beginning of the war, and I think that when I said in a house, it looked very similar to this, the setup was a little bit different, but similar to this, I said at the end of a table, a month ago, five weeks ago, I don't think that, I don't think any of us would have thought that we'd be in a very, very similar place five weeks later, and it's, it's, a, it's a difficult, difficult situation that Kali Yisrael is in, and we'll talk about it in one of the questions, more than one of the questions is about it, so Mishan will talk about it, but uh, we should be zeicha. That Mitzvah Shem in the month of Kislev, we should be zeichah that the light of Kislev should Mitzvah Shem extinguish all of the darkness, the Furchnias and Gashmias, and Mitzvah Shem should all be zeichah to the Geula Hashlema. So we're doing something a little bit different tonight than we've done before. Normally at the beginning of the month, we just talk about the month, the Yantaf of the month, the Avoid of the month, what needs to be done during that month practically, but we're going to try to switch it up a little bit to do question and answer. I think it's my wife was, uh, was requested by a few different people to do this different format, and I think it's, it's something that I've, I saw by my my, my Rav, Rabbi Zucker in Eretz Yisrael, was something that he did also with the woman, and the woman felt it was very helpful. And not only that, the, what he said and what I saw from the men in the shul is that most, the men in the shul listened to the recording more than the woman in the shul. They appreciated the question and answer, and sometimes the women have different types of questions that the men don't have. So Amr Tzashem, it will be something which hopefully everybody will benefit from. Just as maybe a bit of an introduction for maybe two, three minutes before we get to the actual questions, um, just to talk about just talk about the concept of questions itself and how it connects to Hanukkah. Obviously, if we're talking, if we're having a shir, the beginning of the month of Kislev, as we're getting towards Hanukkah, obviously, the idea of questions and answers and the idea of questions itself has to be very heavily related to Hanukkah. And really, it begins with the Gemara and Shabbos. The Gemara and Shabbos discusses. The Gemara and Shabbos is discussing what is Hanukkah. So Hanukkah is unique. That Hanukkah doesn't have its own masechta. Purim has a masechta called Masechta's Megillah. Sukkah is Sukkah's. Yom Kippur is Yuma. Most of the Yom Tov, Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Hashanah, most of the Yom Tov have their own Masechta in Mishnayis and Gemara that discusses that whole Yantif. Chanukah doesn't have Masechta. Chanukah is a few blocks, about three, four pages in Masechta Shabbos, where it discusses the halachas of Chanukah, the story of Chanukah, and everything relevant to Chanukah is discussed in the Gemara and Shabbos. In the Gemara and Shabbos, when it begins discussing the concept of Chanukah, it begins with the words, my Chanukah. What is Chanukah? The Gemara just begins with the question, what is Chanukah? And the Gemara goes, to, goes on and describes the story, what happened, the miracle that took place with the war, with the Yavanim and Klal Yisrael, the miracle of the eight days, the candles lasting not just one day, but the oil being able to last for eight days. And that's what the Gemara discusses. And then the Gemara goes on to discuss a discussion for a few pages, exactly what are the halachas, what are the practical, relevant halachas for Hanukkah. But the Mepharshim point out, and the Svasemis talks about this very clearly, that it's a very odd way of beginning the story. We don't find in any other Yontif that we say, my Shavuos, my Sukkot, what is Sukkot, what is, what is Purim, what is... Rosh Hashanah. We don't find that. We find that the Gemara begins, and the Gemara tells us a story. When it comes to Hanukkah, the way the Gemara begins the discussion about Hanukkah begins with two words: My Hanukkah. What is Hanukkah? What do you mean? What is Hanukkah? Everyone knows what Hanukkah is. Hanukkah is a story that's been passed down from generations since the story happened. It's a very odd way of introducing this story. But the Svasamis explains that this is the essence of what Hanukkah is. That if you think about what took place on Hanukkah, nothing new took place. The word Chinuch means to be able to re-inaugurate something. It means to re-inaugurate something that was there. Klal Yisrael had the Beis HaMikdash. They then got taken over by the Yavanim. The Yavanim came in, the Yavanim, the Greeks came in and they defiled everything in the Beis HaMikdash. 
And the miracle of Hanukkah is that we got right back to where we were before Yavin ever came back, ever came in and defiled everything. So what takes place on Hanukkah is not anything new. What takes place on Hanukkah is that we had the Beis HaMikdash before the Yavanim came in, and we had the, we had the Beis HaMikdash after. What takes place in Hanukkah is that we're re-inaugurating that which we've already had. And the Svasama says that the essence of Hanukkah and the beauty of Hanukkah is these two words, my Hanukkah. When a person's able to live and say, I know the story, and I know maybe even the halachas, I know all the practical relevant laws that I need to know in order to keep Hanukkah. But if a person's able to ask themselves, my Hanukkah, what is Hanukkah? What does Hanukkah mean to me? How am I able to find a deeper and more meaningful experience in Hanukkah this year than I had last year? And how is everything in my life able to be more meaningful? That's what Hanukkah represents. According to Teisvis, the place that they found the jug of oil was not on the floor. We tend to think when we're little kids that they found it on the corner of the Beis HaMikdash. Teisvis says it was hidden underneath the ground because the essence of what Hanukkah is, is trying to reveal light, trying to dig to discover something and something that you already have. I already own the Beis HaMikdash, I already have the Beis HaMikdash. But the goal of Hanukkah is to say, okay, I know that I have Hanukkah and I know that I have Shabbos and I know what it means to be married and to have children. I know what all of those things mean on a surface level. But I ask myself, my Hanukkah, what is Hanukkah? If a Yid lives with that curiosity, when he is asking himself questions constantly, in Baruch Hashem in this room, I think we all grew up from homes, we all grew up used to Hanukkah, and used to Shabbos, and used to what a Shabbos Suda looks like, and used to davening, and used to Tehillim, and used to everything. We're very, very used to it, and we know it, and it's something which is very, it's very familiar to us. But we're able to ask ourselves the question of the Gemara, my Hanukkah, what is Hanukkah? What is Shabbos? What are Shabbos candles? What's the point of, of being from? What's the point of davening and learning? When we're able to really dig and ask ourselves those questions, that's when we're able to bring more light into our life. The goal of Hanukkah, this is the way we Paschal Allah like Basil, is that every night you add another light. Because the goal of Hanukkah is not to be, not to be content and not to be complacent with the Yiddishkeit that I had yesterday. But every single day I'm adding and adding and adding. And I could have been from my whole life, but I recognize that everything I know is just, I'm just scratching the surface. I just came back from Eretz Yisrael. I was talking to my Rebbe, Rebbe Zikr over there. So he said, somebody asked him about a certain mitzvah. He, he couldn't remember offhand which mitzvah it was. He asked him, is there anything deeper behind this mitzvah other than just the mitzvah itself? And he started laughing. He said, of course there's something deeper. And every layer that you're going to uncover in any mitzvah, is, there's going to be thousands and thousands of layers underneath that. Everything you're able to discover, everything you're able to uncover, both in terms of the halachas and in terms of digging deeper, in terms of understanding that there's something more taking, taking place underneath the surface, that's the essence of what it means to live as a Hanukkah year the whole year. That I'm living constantly, being moisif, constantly adding light into my life in the things that I already have. I already have the basic mikdash. There's nothing new. Purim is that we lost our lives, then we got it back. So we got at least something new and we're able to then from there get, get to the base of mikdash. That's where the, we began the base of mikdash. Shavuos is, we got the Torah. We didn't have the Torah. Sukkot is, we got protection. On Hanukkah, you don't get anything new. You just get a deeper and more meaningful understanding and that which you already have that which you already have. All of us are Baruch Hashem from, we all live from, we all have from homes, but the point of asking questions, and this is why I felt questions and answers was so appropriate for this month, is that that's what questions are. Questions are, I know these things already, but I wanna dig deeper. I wanna understand something a little bit more. I wanna make it a little bit more meaningful. I wanna make it something, not just that I'm doing it because this is the way I was brought up and this is what I've been doing my whole life. I wanna be able to understand it in a deeper and more meaningful, more meaningful way. And that's really the idea of what Hanukkah is. My Hanukkah, what is Hanukkah? And if we can ask ourselves the question about everything in Yiddishkeit, we'll be able to under, uncover so much more. You know, when, the, when, the, when we hosted, I think it was three or four weeks ago, when we hosted the college students in the, in the shul. So it was 18 to 20 college students, and different people hosted them for Sudhis, and people hold them for sleeping, and for the oining. And so, so many of the men told me, they said that it was such a powerful experience. Because that ability to be able to sit with somebody who's totally not from, and who enters into your house and asks you, why when you, why when you cut the challah, why do you dip it into the salt? 
And a man who's been brought up his whole life from, has never thought about the question once in their life, they dip it into the soul because that's what their father does, has to now stop and think, why do I dip it into the soul? And why do I cut it? And why do I put one on top of the other? And why do I cover them when I, when I cut it? And why do I cover it Friday night and Shabbos day? But Shalshad is also covered even though there's no... And suddenly you have to start asking yourself questions. When you have children, it's the same thing. Children ask questions. And the worst thing you can do to your child when the child asks questions is, you'll understand when you get older. Because it's, it's a deflection because you don't really know the answer. So instead of trying to give them the answer and say, I don't know, that's a great question. Let's figure it out. Let's discover it. Let's uncover. Let's try to figure out what it is. You say, I don't know. It's something that I don't either know. But the opportunity to have, to have children in your home means that the children are asking questions that are forcing you to think about things that are normal to you, that are regular to you, that are standard to you. And you start to have to, you start have to think about them and to have to uncover them. The, the Parsha told us two weeks ago that Yitzhak Avinu was involved in being chayfer be'iris. He dug wells. Avram Avinu dug wells. They got stuffed up. And Yitzchak dug wells again. And the Pasuk goes on, a few Pesukim going on. The Yitzchak dug wells and they got stuffed up and he called them names. A whole long discussion about Yitzchak Avinu and Avram Avinu digging wells. It seems totally irrelevant to anything we know about Yitzchak Avinu. Yitzchak Avinu is one of the others. Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov. We know a lot of great things about the others. We need to know that Yitzchak Avinu dug wells. But the Svasamas explains that Yitzchak Avinu digging wells is the essence of what it means to be a Yid. Avram Avinu, in order to discover Hashem, needed to dig a well. Avram Avinu was brought up in the house of a person who was Oyved Avodah His father sold Avodah for a business. He was brought up in the house of Terach. Avram Avinu wanted to discover Hashem. He was forced to dig. He was forced to ask questions. Who's in charge of the world? The sun, the moon. We all know the Medrash. He went through every part of creation trying to figure it out. And he, on his own, needed to uncover Hashem. Then comes Yitzhak Avinu. Yitzhak Avinu was brought up in the house of Avram and Sarah. Yitzhak Avinu is fed Yiddishkeit from the moment that he's born. His parents are the greatest makarvim, makar, they're of thousands, tens of thousands of people. So Yitzhak Avinu knows all the questions and he knows all the answers and he knows everything. But Yitzhak Avinu understands that if I want to really be from, if I want to really be connected to Hashem, it's not enough to just say, I have it and it was given over to me in a silver platter because I was brought up in the house of Avram and Sarah. Yitzhak Avinu is also chayfer be'eris. Yitzhak also digs wells because Yitzhak understands that being from is not about just living at the surface level. Being from is asking the question of my Hanukkah. What is it? What are we trying to uncover? What are we trying to do? What, what, what does Yiddishkeit mean to me? What does shaking lulav and esrug mean to me? I was talking to Rabbi Zucker in this conversation. He said, you know, the, the first year that we had the shul, so Rabbi Zucker has, you know, one of the things that he does, he has very, when he shakes lulav and esrug, during Hallel, it takes him a long time. There's a lot of kavanas, al kabbalah, there's a lot of different things to do. And he said, some of the people didn't, they didn't even understand, what, like, what are you doing? Just shake it and put it down. And he said, it, it was just an opportunity, a learning opportunity for people to understand. Shaking Lulav Esther is not just, you shake Lulav Esther because there's, there's something there, there's something taking place underneath the surface. And if we ask ourselves the question, we don't always have the answers to all the questions. But if you can ask ourselves the questions constantly, my Hanukkah, and ask that about everything in life, what is it? What's the essence of it? And as we grow older and mature more, the questions become deeper and hopefully we're able to uncover more and more levels. And we live a life where we constantly uncover things. That's the essence of a Hanukkah is. That we're every day of our life, every moment of our life, every year of our life, we're adding another candle. That we don't want to have the same Shabbos this week as we had last week. Every Shabbos should be totally different. But the Chazal say that when Avram, when Yitzhak Avinu brought Rivka into his house and Yitzhak married Rivka, so the Yenachim Achar Imei Rashi says that Yitzhak Avinu Rifki Imenu, I'm sorry, had the same miracles happen to her as happened to Sarah Imenu. That she lit the candles and the candles stayed lit from Friday to Friday. And there was a cloud on top of the, on top of the, top of the, on top of the, oil on top of the tent that she was in. And, and, she, and, she, had, and she had the miracle of the challah. So the Mepharshim asked, why was it necessary if she lit the candles for them to go out every week and for her to relight them every week? Wouldn't it have been a greater miracle for Sarah Imenu and for Rifki Imenu to light the candles the first week they got married? Let them stay lit until they died. 
But the Swarm explained that this is the essence of what it means to be a Yid, is I don't want to light candles once and the candles stay lit. Every Shabbos, I want to light candles in a way that, it's, that I recognize that what I'm doing is changing the world. What I'm doing is something which is so massive and so big. And every Shabbos, I get to uncover it a little bit more. That every time I daven Shachos, it's not the same Shachos as yesterday. Every time I talk to Hashem, it's not the same one as yesterday. Every day is new. Every moment is new. And all of my life, I'm constantly digging to uncover that Pach of Shemen, that little jar of oil that I'm able to uncover to bring more light into our life. And again, this is why I felt it was so, it was so appropriate. It happened to have worked out this way by Ashkacha. So appropriate that this is, what, this is what we're discussing the month of Hanukkah, because this is what Hanukkah is. We don't want to go into the same Hanukkah as we went on last year. And you can use the same anaira on the same, you can use the same oil on the wicks, but you don't want Hanukkah to be the same. You want to uncover something new. You want to be able to listen to a new shir, to be able to read a new book, to hear a new insight, to hear something, that something this Hanukkah should be different. And something this Shabbos should be different than last Shabbos. And every moment of our lives to try to uncover more and more, to be digging, to be uncovering, to be able to recognize that Yiddishkeit is, is mayim she'enlem seif, it's waters that never end. And the more we uncover and the more you discover, the more you realize that you're just scratching the surface. This farm have a lushan, the essence, the pinnacle of all knowledge, is the knowledge that I don't know anything. Which means the higher I get, the more I understand, the more a person digs, the more a person understands that I'm just scratching the surface. I'm just starting to understand what Yiddishkeit is. And I could have been from my whole life and I could be 70, 80 years old, but, and I've been learning my whole life and I'm just scratching the surface. This is what Hanukkah is. This is what my, this is what my Hanukkah means. The essence of Hanukkah is to ask questions. And again, we're gonna go through a few questions. A lot of questions came in. We're not gonna go through all the questions. We'll go through a few questions, but the point is that this should become something which is a conversation between you and your husbands, between you know, mentors that you have, between Arbanam that you have, to be able to ask questions, to be able to recognize that this is what it means to be from, is that we're not from because we were from, we're from because every day we're becoming from anew, we're becoming a yid, we're becoming a yid all over again. We're trying to reconnect in a way that's deeper than it was yesterday to the Rabbanu Shalom. That's just, as a bit of an introduction to what, what the concept of questions. A, a lot of the questions came in, I'm gonna, I'm gonna limit it to a few questions. We don't have a ton of time, I'm gonna limit it to a few questions, questions that I felt like maybe would be mostly shavu l'chal nafesh, the ones that would be most general questions that I feel like would be most applicable to, you know, to as many people as possible. I'm gonna leave the halacha questions on the side, or a bunch of halacha questions that came in. Everyone's, feel, everyone's free to either reach out to me, reach out to my wife, or your husband can reach out to me, whatever you feel most comfortable. That's halacha questions, most of them are just you know, yes or no, and I could explain it. And those I felt like were much more, you know, one sentence answers. I want to discuss maybe more of Hashkafa questions, ones that are more broad, broad, broader topics than the Allah questions. So we're gonna leave the Allah questions on the side. And as I said, I'm not gonna to get to all the questions. So if you sent a question in and it didn't, it's not getting, it's not getting spoken about, it doesn't mean it wasn't a good question. It doesn't mean that it wasn't, a, that it wasn't something which is relevant. I'm just gonna, I tried to pick out the five or six questions that I felt like were the most relevant, the most, uh, the ones that would be the most shavu l'chal nefesh, the most, applicable to everybody in the room. So uh, I'll read, I guess, some of the questions the way, the way it says it inside, and then I'll try to, um, I'll try to give some of an answer. So the, the, the question, this came in two, three different forms. This, the question goes as following. What is the Torah perspective on the balance of ima and and the need to continue on with normal life? It's a question that I think has come up. I, I've gotten this question personally from many, many of the men, many, many of the women in the community, how to be able to live on one hand with the recognition that there's a war going on in Eretz Yisrael, and it's an ongoing war, and there are hostages which are still held, where Hashem, some of them over the past few days have gotten out, there's still hostages, there's still grandparents and kids that are still being held, and at the same time, a person needs to function in their regular life. A person needs to continue functional, functioning, but my personal feeling is it feels insensitive to be enjoying extra, extra luxury activities when our brothers and sisters are at war. 
How do I, you know, when I express this idea, I'm told I have to be normal. I would love clarity if my feeling of wanting to limit leisurely activities and purchases in this time of tzara for Klai Yisrael is maybe too extreme. That was the question, again, it came in, in a few different forms, but it's a question which I think everyone's grappling with. And people in Eretz Yisrael, I just came back from Week in Eretz Yisrael, people in Eretz Yisrael are grappling with the same question. You walk the streets, you shalayim, and on the one hand, it feels like it's regular. It feels everything's back to regular. Everyone's living regular life. Yes, not all the stores are open. Not everyone's, you know, not all the husbands are home. Some of the husbands are on the front lines. But, you know, so to speak, it feels like things have gotten back to normal. At the same time, you can't ignore the fact that there's, there's a, a tragedy of, of tremendous proportion that's going on right now. That people are never dying every day. People are being held hostage. And how to be able to balance those two things. So I, I think that it's obvious to all of us that if it overtakes our basic ability to function as wives and as mothers and as regular humans, that's obviously unhealthy. And that's obviously not Ratz and Hashem, and it's not what the Rabbani Hashem wants in any, in, any stretch of, in any stretch of anybody's imagination. If it takes over a person's ability to be able to just be regular, to be able to be there for their, themselves, for their husbands, for their children, obviously that's not healthy, and obviously that's not Ratz and Hashem. And in that way, a person's, you know, so to speak, letter, letting the, the uh, terrorist win, and letting them take over the life, and instead of them just coming into the physical ground of Eretz Yisrael, we're allowing them to enter into our hearts and our minds and our homes, and letting them take over completely. And that's obviously not a healthy, not something which is healthy. And obviously, if a person is struggling with that, they should talk to somebody because that's not obviously that's an extreme which is not healthy. However, at the same time, a person needs to stop and be mishtatif. A person needs to stop and recognize that everything's not back to regular. And even when things in Eretz do get back to regular, there's still people that are going to be suffering. For, you know, for for decades on end, for, for long times at end. The people that have lost people, the people that have gotten injured. I was just in Eretz I was talking to a friend of mine who went to visit a soldier. He went to visit some of the soldiers in the hospital. And he said he walked into one of the rooms and it's, it's you know, I mentioned to the men in Matzah Shabbos that part of the challenge of, of this war and of what's going on is that the numbers are so big. They're so much bigger than anything we've dealt with before. So when three boys were kidnapped, we could wrap our head, heads around three boys. When there was, you know, Nachshon Waxman, we could wrap, wrap, wrap our head around one person. When there's you know, five people killed, you know, we could sort of wrap our head around what that means. But when the numbers become in the hundreds, it's very, very difficult to wrap our head around. And, and you know, as soon as we focus on the individual people, it becomes that much easier for us to really be mishnatef in the tsar. As he told me, he went to visit somebody in the hospital, and he said it was a young couple, and it was a, a couple that had got married you know, three, two, three years ago, I don't know exactly. She was 19, 20, younger than everybody in the room. She was 19, 20. Her husband had been on the front lines. Never he lost both of his legs in the war. And he's sitting there in the thing, Baruch Hashem, he's healthy. You know, it's not, he's not considered to be critically injured. He's not on the list of those that are critically injured. He's not gonna make the front cover of any paper. This is not considered to be something which is tragic, you know, by the, by the, greater, you know, the greater picture of the war. But he said, if you just you talk to this lady, you talk to the husband and hear that the people are gonna suffer for the rest of her life. He's never gonna be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And she has been married to this man for two, three years. And they can live like this with the rest of their life. And it's, it's, to walk around thinking about the individuals the whole day is unhealthy. And it's not something which allows us to function. But at the same time, it's worthwhile. For sure, when a woman lights candles, that it's such an ace tzara, it's such an ace, it's, it's an ace tzara, and when lighting, it's such an ace tefillah, that it's an ace rutzen, that a person's able to be mispal then, person get daven then, if a person's able to say some tehillim during the day, if a person's able to take some time out of the day to talk in their own words to Hashem, five minutes a day, it could be you with your children, with your husband, it could be as a family activity, when you sit down to supper, to stop and to think about the fact that there are people that are still suffering. I went this, I went this past week, I went this, this past week, I went to Kfar Aza. I spoke about it also to the men in Masa Shabbos. I went into Kfar Aza. Kfar Aza is one of the villages that was totally decimated. It's 400 houses there. A, a large part of the village was totally decimated. There's like this three, four villages that were the main ones, the ones that are closest to the border. It's about two miles from Gaza. So when you're standing there in the village, you see the smoke rising from Gaza. 
you know, there was a rocket came in as we were there. It's, it's, it's you're really as, as close as you can get to being, to being in Gaza. And you go through these people's homes and you see that people's homes have been totally destroyed. But these are regular people. You know, the, again, like I said, the number 200, 240, these are numbers that we can't fathom. But when you look into a kid's room and you're able to see that, it, that there's toys there and this kid is either killed or taken hostage and you see that the shoes are still there and the clothing is still there and this dish is still in the sink. Everything's, everything remained exactly as it was. A lot of it's burnt. You're able to stop for a few minutes and just to think about individuals. They say, and I mentioned this again, once Shabbos, Rechaim Shmolevitz. Rechaim Shmolevitz heard that his soldier was killed. He started crying. And a few minutes later, after he composed himself, he started crying again. And then he started crying a third time. And the, the, the Talmudim asked him, he said, Rebbe, why do you keep crying? Like you cried the first time, he composed himself, why do you keep crying? And he said, I cried the first time for the soldier that was killed. And I cried the second time for his wife and kids. And I cried the third time for his parents and his friends lost them also. And if you could just stop, again, it's not healthy to live like this the whole day. And, and it's, it's, it, it, can, it can cause a person to cease to function in a regular healthy way if this becomes the main thing in our mind. But we can't either lose focus. I was talking to Rabbi Berkowitz and he said, he said, for sure people in America and even people in Eretz Yisrael, you know, somebody mentioned to me today that he spoke to a relative of theirs in Eretz Yisrael who lives in Yerushalayim. And they said, they said, you know, in America, they're so busy talking about the war. They said, Eretz Yisrael, we're living like it's normal. I said, that's not a, that's not a mila. It's not an advantage to go back to that everything's regular back to normal. Again, the whole day is not healthy, but at least for a few minutes throughout the day, whether it's by davening, whether it's by tehillim, whether it's for sure a lighting day or some Friday night, a few minutes throughout the day to stop and to daven. There's names, there's, there's, you can see the pictures, all of the tehillim names to stop and to be mishnatev and the tsar is for sure necessary. You no, know, it, it says by Hagar, that when Hagar was with Yishmael and Yishmael was dying, Hagar distanced herself. The Pasuk says that Hagar distanced herself from Yishmael and went away. She didn't want to watch him in pain. To be able to distance ourselves and to say, we don't want to see any of the pain, we want to just ignore it completely, is not a healthy thing. That's what Hagar does to Yishmael. Moshe Rabbeinu, who's living in the palace, who doesn't live this, who doesn't live with the pain of Kla Yishmael, nevertheless says, I want to go and see the pain, to feel, to be able to understand, to be able to hear it. If a person reads the news constantly, it, one of two things happen. Either it just totally, it makes a person incapable of functioning, or it makes a person numb to it and you can just function and it's just another number. It's not worthwhile reading the news constantly. It's not worthwhile looking at the news constantly. That's not a way of being mishnatav and the start to stop for a few minutes throughout the day to think about what it means for these people, what it means for Klal Yisrael, what it means that this is you go through Yishalayim, every hotel is jammed with people that have been displaced for six, seven weeks living in hotel rooms. You're talking about whole families living, living in hotel rooms. So think about what these people are, are going back to, to just stop and to think about it for a few minutes a day is for sure Kedai. Now when it comes to living less of a luxurious life, everybody has to know for themselves what, what they're capable of doing, and what they're not capable of doing. For sure, even in Allah, we find the concept of limiting at a time that Kla Yisrael is an Eitz limiting things. It doesn't mean that a person should cease to function again in a regular way, that a person's you know, not gonna eat bread and water and sleep on the floor. That's not something that would be healthy for us to do. But I've gotten the question from a few people, they're supposed to go on a big grand vacation. It was a big anniversary, it was something big. We're gonna go on a big vacation. Yeah, that's something that maybe it's worthwhile if a person's capable to say, I'm gonna limit it, I'm gonna lower it, or maybe I'm gonna go on the vacation, but at least for five, 10 minutes a day, I'll stop and I'll think about it when I'm on vacation. Everybody has to ask the question, you know, on a personal basis to figure out what makes the most sense. That has to be something which works for the person. And it's also important to ensure that whatever a person is doing, to be mishtatav and the tzar is not affecting other people. Which means if you decide that you want to do something because it helps you be mishtatav and the tzar, make sure that it's also not affecting your husband negatively or your children negatively. It, person makes a Kabbalah, it's a Kabbalah for themselves. It can't be something which in the house, you know, there's no more music in the house and that's gonna affect the whole mood of the house. That's obviously not healthy. And again, that's, that's allowing, you know, allowing what's taking place to, to take over a person as opposed to keeping, keeping it in our hearts in a place which is dear constantly, but it doesn't overtake us. And it's, it's, it's important to make sure that we're able to, we're able to deal, with this, deal with this balance somehow. On the one hand, we don't forget what's taking place, 
And at the same time, at the same time, we're able to move about a life. And it's, it's, it's a difficult thing. And it's something that Kalal Yisrael has had to do, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times over, over the past, you know, thousands of years of Gullahs to be able to figure out how to balance two things at once that you can go to Chasna and dance by Chasna at the same time, you know, there's a war going on and you have to be able to figure out how to balance, how to not be able to let it overtake you, but at the same time, not to be able to ignore completely. And again, the question of where luxuries, you know, everybody has to figure out for themselves. Obviously that which is necessary, that which is normal. You know, somebody asked me about going, going on vacation with his wife. It was somebody who was newly married. He wanted to go on vacation with his wife. His wife was very insistent that they go on vacation. She very much was looking forward to this. I think it was their honeymoon. They were looking forward for already a while. And some from the community, some from outside. And so I said, obviously, if it's important to your wife and if it's very, very important to your wife, and so then that's obviously what he needs to do. And it's obviously what he should do. And he should do it 100% wholeheartedly. That's what, that's what he's supposed to do. And that's what's good for Shalom Bayes. And that's the right thing to do. But everybody has to have the discussion, at least has to be part of the discussion. Even if that's not, even if the decision is not to cancel everything, but at least should be part of the discussion that Kalal Yisrael is going through an Eitzara. Kalal Yisrael is suffering now. All of Kalal Yisrael. We have to make sure that we're as much as possible in the Tzara of Kalal Yisrael. The next question was a question which also I've gotten, you know, it came up over here in a few different ways and I've gotten from a lot of the husbands as well, which was, if I can find it, it was a question about, one second, how can we instill in our children the love of davening without coming off as pressuring them? We know we cannot force a child to sit in shul and daven, but how can we encourage it in the correct way as just a way of communicating to Hashem? This is a question which I think Anyone who has boys definitely struggles with, and even with girls, I'm sure they struggle with. It's 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 a challenge to be able to get be able to get boys and to be able to get be able to get them used to davening and to be able to uh, to do it in a way which is which is healthy. And I I think the following, obviously, as, as the questioner said, obviously to force our children to go to shul is not something which is healthy. I'm not going to leave them with any any positive feelings towards shul. Shul itself has to be something which is a positive experience for kids. And we have to be able to figure out for our kids, you're gonna take an eight, 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 nine year old kid and put him in shul from 9 a.m. till 12, till 12 p.m., he's not gonna be happy. There's no, no, no eight, nine year old kid could sit for three hours straight. He's not gonna be able to sit. He's not gonna be able to, he's not gonna be able to be in shul in a, way which is, in a way which is proper. Obviously, a person has to understand what the kid is capable of and how long he can be in shul for. But the main thing is to make sure that the part of shul that he's in shul for is something which is positive, something which is exciting. It's part of, part of davening, which is singing by. He's there for the kiddush. The kiddush is exciting. There's food there. Something which he feels like he's part of something. He feels like he can enjoy it. It's not long. It's not dragged out. It's not something which, is, which becomes a pressure and an anxiety in him that he has to go to shul. And he feels like he has to be there, but it's something which is, becomes enjoyable for him. But it's also very, very important, and this is probably the most important thing that both as mothers and fathers have to do, is the only way we can get our children to appreciate davening is when we appreciate davening. If we don't appreciate davening, if davening by us is not something that we value, and both the men and the women, then it's gonna be next to impossible to be able to get our kids to, if for us shul is a drag, and for us davening is not something which we, we focus on, it's gonna be very, very difficult, if not impossible, to get our children to be able to value davening. If, we, if davening is something which is important to us, and this goes with davening and it goes with every one of the discussions about getting our children, getting our children to see the importance of something. If it's not important to us, if it's not valuable to us, our children are not gonna value it. I mentioned to the, I think I mentioned to the men recently, you know, sometimes children, will, children you know, a father will be putting tefillin on the son, kid buys a brand new pair of tefillin and he's excited, he puts tefillin on, a brand new pair of tefillin, he gets a new tefillin bag and he's excited, he comes in the first day, he's excited to put on tefillin and he does it slowly and he says, I'll shame Yichud before and it's a whole, you know, a whole process and he's very, very excited and this picture is being taken, he's giving out donuts after davening, it's something which is exciting and three, four days later, especially by a boy who didn't even put it on when he's bar mitzvah, three, four days later, he's already taking off his tefillin, you know, halfway through davening or 20 minutes before the end of davening and the reason for that is very simple. If that's what he grew up watching his father do, 
That's what he's going to do as well. He doesn't understand that tefillin are, tefillin are something that are precious, meant to be worn until the end of davening. And they, he's only going to understand that if he watched that from his father. And the greatest way that parents can model the importance of davening for their children is by valuing davening themselves. I grew up watching my mother daven, watching my father daven. I don't have a lot of pressure in my house to come to davening, but I stood next to my father my, you know, my whole life up until I went to out-of-town, you know, out-of-town, Masifta out of town in high school, so next to my father, and I watched him daven. And I learned how to daven, and maybe when I was 13, 14, 15, I didn't daven like him. And probably even when I was 20 and 25, I didn't daven like him either. But I had it in the back of my head, a role model of what davening is supposed to look like. I used to come down in the morning, Shabbos morning, and every morning, and I saw my mother davening. And I saw what it meant to, to be somebody that valued davening. So in the back of my head, I always had it that I had a role model of what davening is supposed to look like. If you want our children to value davening, the way to do it is not to force our ch- children to come to, to go to daven. And even again, making charts and incentives are all good, but it only works if it's built on the premises that we ourselves value davening, that we ourselves appreciate what davening is. We have to figure out if we don't, how to be able to value that, how to be able to instill in ourselves the value and, appreci- and the appreciation for davening. Once we do that, it becomes that much easier. It becomes that much easier to give that over to our children in a, in a way that's healthy. I think it's also very important that if davening is not built on a premises of having a relationship with Hashem, davening is the most boring, torturous thing possible. If a person doesn't have, and this goes again both for adults and kids, if a person doesn't have a relationship with Hashem, if they don't feel like they can talk to Hashem, if they don't feel like Hashem is listening to them and hears them and is with them and understands everything they're going through, it, it's impossible, if not torturous, to daven because you're standing there in shul or you're standing there at home and you're just reading words that are in Hebrew that don't have a lot of meaning to you and you're just reading the same words over and over and over. It's repetitive and it's boring and it's torturous and it's something that nobody, no child and no adult is interested in doing. The child has to be taught, and again, adults as well, that you have to have a relationship with Hashem. Davening is there in order to create a deeper relationship and davening is there once a person has a relationship, they can utilize davening as a way to be able to strengthen and to be able to push, move that relationship further. Davening is a way of talking to Hashem. And therefore, if we want to be able to make sure that our children appreciate davening, it doesn't begin by shachos mincha and mayriv. It begins by bringing Hashem into our homes constantly. That everything that we need and everything that we want and everything that we talk about, Hashem is part of the conversation. The Pasuk says about, about Yosef HaTzadik, that Yosef HaTzadik, when he was in the house of Petifar, he was able to see that there was shem shemayim shagabapiv. That everything Yosef said, Yosef HaTzadik said was Baruch Hashem, Amir Hashem, it should go well, let's daven for this. If we do that to our children, not in the context of davening from a siddur in shul, but if we do that to our children, to ourselves and to our children, that Hashem is part of the conversation, that we're constantly talking about Hashem, we're constantly saying, let's, talk, let's daven to Hashem. Right? There's, a, there's a book I know my kids read, it's called Mommy's Secret Language, right? Mommy's Secret Language, where it talks about that the children are watching their mother constantly, their, the, the, mother's, the mother's lips are constantly moving. And the kids ask the mother, like, what's, what's the secret language? And she says, I don't have a secret language. I talk to Hashem anything that I need. And anything that I want in my life, I talk to Hashem. I thank Him, I ask Him, I complain to Him, I, 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 I give over all of my feelings to Hashem, and I talk to Hashem. When we give that over as the basis for davening, and davening becomes that much easier. When we explain to our children that, yeah, the main part of davening is not just going to shul and opening a siddur and davening. The main part is that you have a relationship with Hashem, that you realize that Hashem is part of your life. Every moment of your life, every child should know that they're walking with Hashem, that they can talk to Hashem at any time, that anything they need that's not going well in school, anything that they want, they have their Rabbanisham to turn to. So then davening is now built on the premises of I have a relationship with Hashem. Now that I have a relationship, now there's three times a day when you go to shul and you open up a siddur and you daven. But if we don't, if it's not built on that, then it's very, very boring and it's torturous and it's not something which any kid or any adult is gonna look forward to. And therefore, again, both for ourselves and for our children, it's important that we have the relationship with Hashem. And then on top of that, the davening is part of the tools 
that are there in the toolbox to be able to build a deeper relationship with Hashem. So again, just to summarize you know, the answer, obviously forcing our children to go to shul is not something which is healthy and not something which is gonna cause them to appreciate davening. I know I've spoken to tens and tens of people who have been you know, forced to go to shul when they were children and resent it you know, decades later, do not have a good relationship with davening, not with shul, and the whole, the whole relationship with the concept of basic Knesset is something which has been warped from the time that they were little kids because their father thought or their mother thought that that was the right thing to do. Obviously, that's not a healthy way to do it. But at the same time, we have to make it exciting. We have to get our children to come to the parts of davening that are exciting and make sure that it's built into the fabric of the day, that davening is not just something which happens out of a siddur, but davening is something which happens throughout the day, that a child, a child, parents, the family, they know the Rabbanish is part, part of the conversation, and from there, the davening becomes that much easier. That's, uh, that's, the, question, that's the question about, uh, about davening. Maybe just, you know, to move, to move on to a topic which is perhaps somewhat related, I'm moving to a topic which is perhaps somewhat related, we're running out of questions, but uh, running out of time. But uh, to move on to a topic which is somewhat related, you know, what, what, one of the women asked, what the, what, the point of, what the point of the singing that takes place during, Kidd- during Kiddush in the shul? That, you know, many of the men stay in shul. We finish davening at about 11, 11.15 on an average week. Most of the men don't end up coming home till probably about after 12. I think 12, 12.15. Now, I, I, I haven't, I, most, of the men, most of the men told me that even before the shtiva, they were coming home that time. They were just, they were doing, they were going kids in people's homes as opposed to doing it in the shul. So that, that itself is Baruch Hashem, you know, a big advantage, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But, um, but let's not talk about the time for a second, but just, like, is there a point to that? Is, is there any point in just the men sitting around every Shabbos day, and they're sitting, and they're singing, and it's very nice, and they're singing, and they sing beautiful songs, and they have nice harmonies. Is there a point in that? Like, are we, are we just waiting at home, waiting for our husbands? If they're davening, I understand, davening is davening. If they're rough speaking, I understand, okay, a speech is a speech. If they're learning, I understand learning, but like, they're just sitting in shul and singing? Like, what's the value in that? And again, obviously every woman has to figure out with her husband when he should be coming home, but is there any value in what's taking place? So I'll just maybe talk about that because I can see from the reactions that I think that that's maybe a, a pretty relevant question to a, lot, to a lot of people that are here, but I'll just... But I'll just, uh, yeah, yeah. First of all, like my wife said, any, anyone, everyone's, everyone's welcome to come to shul for the kiddush, and you can come in here and appreciate the beauty of what takes place, just on a very simple level. But just, I'll just, I'll just talk about two, two small. This again, it's a much bigger topic. The topic of singing and the topic of music and Jewish music and, and the ability to use music as a way to connect is a much, much bigger topic. And maybe we can do a whole share, a whole series just on that. But just maybe, maybe, if it, maybe you know, two small points related to that. Maybe I'll do one more question and then we'll stop. Two more points, two, two small points connected to that. It's crucial that a man, especially a man that's working, feels part of something. When a man's in yeshiva or a man's in kailal, automatically he feels like he has a circle. He feels like he has a social circle, but not just social, he feels like he has a spiritual social, social circle, something that he's part of. And that's very, very important for a man when a man's learning, that a man feels part of yeshiva, part of something. If he, he can be in BMG with thousands of people, but he's part of a chabura, he's part of a small group of people that are learning the same thing, he has a certain seat, he feels part of something. The challenge is when a man goes out to work, and a man no longer has a yeshiva, has a kailo, they automatically feel like they're floating. They feel like they're not part of anything. And they can live in a neighborhood like ours, which Baruch Hashem is a beautiful neighborhood. And yeah, it's somewhat of a bungalow colony, and it's somewhat of 150 homes connected. It doesn't make a difference. If a man, a man doesn't feel like he's really part of something, it's gonna be very, very difficult for a man to really be able to grow in Yiddishkeit. One of the reasons why Dafyemi, for example, is so popular, and you know, I don't know if you know about Eli Stefanski, this Yiddin Ramapet Chemish, who has thousands of people watching his share every day. One of the reasons why it's so popular 
is not even an ashpuzah that we came to camp, ashpuzah with him about it. It's not even, it's not just that he gives such a good cheer. It's that people want to feel like they're part of something. So he created this network of people all over America, all over the world that are listening to his shear at the same time of the day. And men all over the world will feel like they're part of something. Dafyaimi says this, there's so many learning programs. And the reason why these learning programs are successful is not just for the learning itself, but it's also that it gives a person the ability, gives a man the ability to feel like he has a spiritual identity, that he's part of something. Part of why, you know, I, I said from, you know, from week number one, that it was important to have a Kiddush and Shul every week. And not just a Kiddush, you know, where everyone's standing around and eating, but a sit-down Kiddush. That's the way I had it in my Shul in Eretz Yisrael, that we have a sit-down Kiddush every week. And the men sit around and we schmooze and we sing. And this Torah that said is because it gives a person the ability to feel like I'm part of something. I'm really part of something. I'm not just coming to Shul and davening and leaving. I'm sitting here and I'm part of something. There's a family taking place. There's a family, you know, family dynamic that's taking place. We're sitting together and, and we're just schmoozing with each other. And, and that ability, Pasha, just to sit and to schmooze and to talk to each other is so much part of what a man needs. And, and a woman needs this as well, to be part of, to be growing in Avedis Hashem. That a person feels like I'm part of something, I'm part of a shul and I'm connected and I sit there and I'm part of it. And, and it's something which is part of my identity is so important. So again, without even the sinking part, just for the men to sit around after shul and to sit and schmooze. And I was just talking to Rabbi Berkowitz, he said Berkowitz, my, one of my Rabbi as well. And he said, he said, you have to make sure that in shul, he didn't know that we have a kiddush every week. He said, you have to make sure in shul that the men also have time to social he said part of spiritual growth is met the men socializing together. Now, obviously, it needs to be done in a healthy, spiritual way. If men are socializing in a way which, you know, the talk is about things which are, you know, inappropriate or just not something which is Shabbos dick, or not something which is elevating, obviously that's not healthy and obviously that's not, that's not helping anybody grow. And therefore, you know, if men are just sitting around and, and you know, shooting the breeze and talking about, maybe, maybe that's not, you know, that's not the healthiest thing and that's not helping them grow. But if men are sitting around and schmoozing in a social thing that's part of a Vaidya Hashem, that means that they're part of something, they're doing it within the, within the realm of a shul, they're doing it together, there's a rav there, and the conversations that take place, and I've heard this from so many of the men, they said the conversations that used to take place at, you know, Kedushan that used to take place in people's houses, you know, when a bunch of men just got together to drink after davening, the conversations they said were, were about things that were so, not inappropriate, just things that were so not elevating and so not Shabbistic and so not, and so not important. And they said, when we sit together in shul, we sit together in the shul, people talk about things that are important. They're talking about their lives. They're talking about growth together. And they said the conversations have shifted and, and them sitting around schmoozing together is such an important thing. I've told the men this many times. I've heard this from my Rebbe, Rebbe Zucker, many, many times. He said that the old, the previous Amshan of a Rebbe, the Amshan of a Rebbe now lives in Bayevagan, the previous Amshan of a Rebbe, the one from, the one from Borough Park, a few of Chassidim asked them one time what Kabbalah they could make. There were Chassidim that working, they wanted to know what Kabbalah they could make to be able to grow in Avayit Hashem. And he said, if they sit together after Shachras every day for a few minutes, he said, that's, that's a Kabbalah that's worthwhile taking on in Avayit Hashem. So they said, Rebbe, sitting together and eating Mazaynas, that's, that's, that's not Avayit Hashem. Tell us to learn something, to daven something. He said, no, I'm telling you, sitting together before you go out to work and just schmoozing together for a few minutes is already part of Avayit Hashem. The Baltania writes that if 10 Yidin are standing together, talking about something which again, is not, not inherently spiritual, but 10 Yidin are standing together, he writes the Kedusha that takes place when 10 Yidin are getting together is so high and so elevated that a Malach doesn't have the ability to enter into that, that realm of those 10, 10 Yidin standing together. So just forget about the singing, forget about Torah, forget about anything, just to sit around in a shul, in a healthy environment for men to be able to sit and to schmooze after a whole week, Everyone works in different offices. Everyone's working all around. To be, able to, to be able to feel like we have a spiritual base, we have something that ties us together is part of Avedis Hashem. And that's important, important to know. And it's important, again, for the men to know, for the women to know also that that's part of what it means to be Avedis Hashem, is for men to feel like they're part of something, to be connected to something, to have a spiritual base is very, very important. Aside from that, obviously singing itself is not, 
Singing is not singing is not a means to an end. Right? Some some people, you know, someone told me recently that you know the goal of singing is not you know singing itself, but if you sing, then maybe you know it will get will lead you to singing itself is is not a means to an end. Singing itself is an end onto it onto itself. Singing is part of avodas Hashem, not just the davening, but if a person's singing and they have to be nagunim, which are proper nagunim. Baruch Hashem, we pick, you know, Heilig and Nagunim and Shul, the Nagunim which are proper, done in a proper environment, in the proper way, not in a way of Heilus, not in a way of just, you know, you know doing it without any, without any real boundaries, but done in a way which is elevating, in a way which is after a davening, when men sit together and sing. And again, when a woman make a comes, it's, it's the same thing. The singing itself attaches a person to Hashem. We know that the name Levi, Levi the reason why Leah gave her child the name Levi is because Levi means Hapam Yolavas Ishi that this is a time she now had three children, Reuven, Shimon, that's one in each hand, and now she has the third child, Levi, now she says, Yaakov Avinu needs to walk with me to be able to take the child, Levi. That's a simple translation that the word Levi means to accompany. But the Svarim explained, based on the Zara, that the word Levi means to accompany because what Levi did, what Levi's role was in the base of Mikdash was to bring song to the base of Mikdash. That's what the Levim did. Levim had songs in the base of Mikdash. Every year they brought, in, they brought in a carbon, there was a song that accompanied the carbon. There was Nagunam that accompanied the carbon. Part of what it means to sing is that you, it attaches. The same way Leah Imenu, Leah Imenu said that Levi, uh, Levi will attach Leah to Yaakov Avinu, the Zara Kaddish says that, Le, that Levi, song, attaches a Yid to the Rabbanishim. When a Yid sings a Nigin, this is part of maybe, we're gonna, I don't know if we're gonna have time for the next question, but part of Shabbos this also. Singing Zmiris by Shabbos is part of Avayi Hashem. We could sit together as a family and sing songs, of, sing Shabbos Nagunim. Aside from focusing on the words, the beautiful, beautiful words of Zmiris, sitting together and singing, by an Einig, by Shabbos by Kiddush, is part of Avayi Hashem. It attaches a person to the Rabbanu Shalom in a, very, in a very, very real way. It's part of what happened to the base of Mikdash. It's part of what happened constantly. We find Lovan in last week's parsha. It's a fascinating thing. Lovan, when, when Yaakov Avinu leaves with Rachel, Leah, Bila, and Zilpah, and 11 of, 11 of the children, Lovan comes running after them. And Lovan says, you ran away in the middle of the night without telling me. And then Lovan says something very interesting. I spoke about this last year by the Kiddush. Lovan, said, Lovan tells Yaakov Avinu, if I would have known that my family is leaving, I would have accompanied them. I would have walked them out with singing and, with singing and music. Why is Lovan saying that he would have walked them out with singing and music? That's the way Lovan's going to say goodbye to his family? But the Swarm explained that Lovan understood the power of music. That he understood that if Lovan sings songs to them, the songs that Lovan would sing, the Lovan or Russia would sing, it would attach him to those people in a, way that, in a way that would attach him forever. That songs have the ability to attach people to each other and to attach people to the Rabbanu Shalom. And when the Nagunim are sung in a way of Kedusha, the Nagunim are sung, which are Nagunim that are coming from you know, old Nagunim and, and new Nagunim also, but Nagunim that are elevating, Nagunim that are holy, they attach a person. You can, see, you can watch Bashal Shuddis. Again, uh, you can ask my wife if you're all welcome. And I think you're all welcome to at least come once to watch Bashal Shuddis. It, it's, it's what takes place by Shal Shuddis. One of the men just told me this past week, he said I was crying during Shal Shuddis. The lights go off. Lights are off and we sing Nagunim. And there's Nigan, and we sing the same Nagunim every week. It starts with the Balatanya's Nigan. These are Nagunim that came from 250 years ago from a tzaddik like the Balatanya. These are Nagunim which allow a person's neshama to soar to a different place. When Yidin are sitting together after davening, it's, it's, not, it's not okay. You know, we finished davening and now there's something else. It's just, this is a continuation of part of davening. Sitting together and singing. There's also Taira Baksham. I don't speak during davening, but I speak during Kiddush every week. And the Kiddush itself is something which I know that I, me for myself and, and all the men, you can, you can talk to your husbands about this, but walk out in a way which is elevated. Something which is, something which really uplifts a person and is part of Avayi Hashem. So again, the concept of first of all, being attached to somewhere, just sitting around schmoozing is itself important. And on top of that, singing, which attaches a person to Hashem, which is part of Avayi Hashem, both singing during davening and singing outside of davening, as long as it's done within the proper context, within the proper negunim, in the proper way, that's part of Avayi Hashem. And then this, this idea of the Torah that's being said and sitting in a healthy environment, again, 
Many, of, many, many of the men have told me what it used to look like compared to what it looks like their Kiddush is, is a world of a difference, world of a difference. They're sitting around and there's, you know, there's a tzura, there's some sort of, you know, structure to the way the Kiddush is. We sing certain agunim, then we dance, and, you know, I speak, it's, it's, there's a structure to it. Already, already, already is, is something which is very, very worthwhile and something which is important. I'm just going to end off that this, I got a lot more questions to get to. I'm going to end off with one more point. Uh, about the Shabbos Sudas, which, which came up, you know, also a few questions that people wanted to know about how to elevate the Shabbos Sudas. It's also, again, talking about men that are working and, and when, you're not, when you're not a Kailo, living a Kailo lifestyle, Shabbos is so, so important. Shabbos is, needs to be a key element of a person's week when your husband's working and your husband's not sitting and learning in Kailo the whole day and you're not living the Kailo lifestyle, Shabbos needs to be the center point of the week, that the whole week is focused around Shabbos. Everything is focused around Shabbos and specifically the Sudas of Shabbos. The Sudas of Shabbos are an Avaidah. It's something, which, it's something which needs to be an avayda. It's not something which you're there to eat the meal because you're hungry at night. Part of the Shabbos Suda, it's a Suda. The food that's eaten is halig. The food that's eaten is holy. It's not regular food. The chal that you're eating is not regular food. The fish that you're eating is not regular. The tzaddikim had big avaydas. And even the Gemara talks about that the tzaddikim used to spend time preparing the food for Shabbos because the food for Shabbos is not regular. The things that you talk about by Shabbos Suda are not regular. You don't have regular mundane conversations. The, the types of nagunim that you sing, the zmiris that you sing are not something which is regular. And it could be horror and it could be, it's, it's tiring at the end of a week to put effort into Shabbos, but it's crucial both for yourselves and for your children that the Shabbos suit becomes something which is elevated. It takes time to prepare for it. We, we went to Gamliel, we went on the trip last year to Gamliel Rabinovich. He told us that his, he remembers his father. His father's a big mukul, a very, very chashvid. He says his, he remembers his father at the beginning of the week his father was already preparing stories for the Shabbos Suda to be able to say about the Shabbos Suda. And it's important, again, both for the men, and you can give us over to you give us over to your husbands as well, and for the woman to recognize that the Shabbos Suda is something that is so important for us and for our children to be able to have elevated. If the Shabbos Suda is, is a time which is just a social thing where we're getting together with our friends and the kids are you know, running outside on the front lawn, and the kids are in the backyard, and the kids are not part of the Shabbos Suda, we're really losing an opportunity to be able to sit with our children and give over what Yiddishkeit is supposed to look like. We don't have a lot of time with our kids. We're all busy and our kids are in school a large part of the day. We don't homeschool our children. Our, school, our children are not home. For sure the husbands don't have a lot of time. It's so, so important that the Shabbos suit has become something which is the center point of the week. We prepare stories, we make it exciting, we make it fun. We can dance with our kids by the Shabbos Suda. We can sing with them. But the Shabbos Suda has to be something which is, which is elevated. Like we said, the same way a Kiddush is something which is Avaidus Hashem, Shabbos Suda is even more. It's Avaidus Hashem. In Bechsidim, they don't, they don't take off the Bekash on the Shrimal and the Gartel, the whole Shabbos Suda. They sit in the Shabbos, they sit as if it's middle of Navani, because that's part of Avaidus Hashem. It's part of, it's part of serving the Rabban Hashem. It's important for us to know as parents that we need to give over to ourselves and to our children the beauty and the excitement of our Shabbos table. If we can set the Shabbos table early in the week, Thursday night, Friday, it's part of Avedis Hashem, all of that, the preparing, the cooking, the eating of the Shabbos food, it's all part of Avedis Hashem. And it's, again, as much as we can do, there's so many books that you can buy on Parsha and exciting books and books which have riddles and questions and things that you can make it exciting. But it's so, so important, again, to, to make that the Shabbos Suda is something which is elevating, not just for ourselves. That again, it's been a long week for all of us. At the end of the week, we would like to just sit and choose with our friends. And it's time for that on Shabbos, Matzah Shabbos, Shabbos afternoon. But the Shabbos Suda itself has to be something which is elevating for ourselves, for our families, something we put time and effort and thought into trying to make it as elevating and as spiritual and as exciting and as enjoyable as possible. So Hashem should help us. Again, there's a lot more questions. A lot more to talk about, but um, Mr. Shem, we'll have to, we'll have to yeah. meet another time to, uh, to. So to do part two. Yeah, we'll have to meet another time to continue with the with the other questions. But Mr. Shem, we should all be zeichet to become elevated. Like we said, to ask yourself questions, ask as many questions as you could to 
You can ask them to me, you can ask them to my wife, you can ask them to your husbands, you can ask them to your friends. The point is, ask questions. The point is, dig deeper, try to uncover what is the Shabbos Suda? What are these mirrors that I'm thinking about the Shabbos Suda? Why, is the, why do I eat challah on Shabbos? Why do we eat fish on Shabbos? Why do we eat chalant on Shabbos? These things are all part of Avaidah Hashem. We're able to recognize that we see that everything, everything, I just spoke to the men about it this week, this, this past Shabbos. When a person's living connected to Hashem, like we spoke about, that Hashem is part of the life, he realizes that everything in life is Avaidah Hashem. Everything is an opportunity to get close to Hashem, everything is an opportunity to uncover Hashem and uncover godliness over there. Mr. Hashem, by digging and trying to uncover, will be Zechat to be Moisif, to add constantly more light into our lives, more Yiddish kind into our lives, and more of a relationship with Hashem.